Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Well, some of you were confused when you came in this morning because your pastor was wearing a suit, and it's not Mother's Day. Mother's Day is the day when I wear a suit every year to honor my mother, Ruth Marshall, and my wonderful wife, Nancy. But I never wear a suit on Father's Day. And uh, this week, one morning, probably Monday, I think it was, I was walking on rails and trails, spending my time with God as I've been doing over the last five or six weeks. And I started thinking about my dad. And uh, as I was thinking about him, I realized that my dad set the bar very high when it came to things like telling the truth, Working hard, finishing what you start in life. Now, my dad, I've told you many times, those of you who have been here for a while, my dad was a mean guy. He was an angry guy. And for most of his life, he was not a Christian. But as I thought more and more deeply about him, I realized something. Even though he wasn't a Christian, I learned a great deal from my dad. For example, one day when I was 18 and uh, I, was, I had a job, and uh, the day before I was just... Uh, Stupid. Let's just put it this way. I decided I was going to get ready for playing, trying out for the basketball team at Grove City in one day. I ran two miles. I did 250 sit-ups. And I don't remember how many push-ups. So the next morning, I couldn't move when I tried to get out of bed. And my alarm went off, and I couldn't get out of bed. So uh, my dad happened to be home, which was unusual because he was almost never home in those days. And uh, so he yelled up and said, Chris, get out of bed. And I, I was like, I can't, I'm, I'm too sore to get out of bed. Don't you have work? Yeah, but I, I can't go today. I can't get out of bed. Get out of bed or I'm going to come up there and get you out of bed. Okay. So I got up, muttering some unpleasant things about my dad under my breath. And I got dressed and I went to work. And actually, I told him I couldn't drive, so he drove me to work. And I muttered stuff under my breath for about four hours that day. And then about lunchtime, I realized something. I wasn't going to die. And my dad was right. That just because I was stupid is not a good reason to stay in bed all day. That basically, if you say you're going to do something, you need to do it. And so, as I was thinking about those things about my dad, and I realized my dad didn't become a Christian until he was 73. So I was 37 at that time, which means my dad did not teach me how to pray. He did not teach me how to read or study the Bible. He did not teach me the importance of being in corporate worship. He didn't teach me any of those things. But what happened one time when I was a teenager also came back to my mind. It was a different time. And I don't remember if I was applying for a job or what. And the guy said, you're Clyde Marshall's son. I said, yes, sir, I am. And he said, well, then that means you're an honest, hardworking young man. He had never met me before, but he knew my dad. And so there was this thing about my dad. In fact, my dad used to put it this way. My dad was not a Christian. In fact, what he would say is, I'm not a Christian, but I'm a lot better man than most Christians I know. And what he meant by that was, when my dad said he was going to do something, he did it. And he knew a lot of Christians who would say lots of stuff, and they never did it. My dad showed up before the clock started at work, and he stayed after the clock ended at work. And he knew a lot of Christians who didn't put in a full day's work. And... My dad knew a lot of Christians who would never, ever stand up for something that was right just because it was right because they might offend somebody. Now, my dad had no trouble uh, standing up for what was right or what he thought was right in any situation, in every situation. And so he had this, this idea 
that he was a good man and the Christians were not such good people, even though they supposedly should have been better than him. And so he had this running thing going on for many decades uh, about he was a good man and, and the Christians weren't such good people. And then uh, this is what you need to know. I'm not trying to make a case for my dad should go to heaven because he was a good guy because good works don't get us into heaven. In fact, my dad's in heaven today because at the age of 73, he finally realized that Jesus is God. And his life changed in that moment. And for the last two years of his life, because he only lived for two years as a Christian, my dad changed. And it wasn't a major change that everybody could see, but those of us who saw him on a daily basis or you know, a weekly basis, we, we saw the difference. My dad was a little softer than he used to be. And my dad told me he loved me, which he had never done before. And my dad went to church faithfully, which he had never done before, except for one period in eighth grade when my mom almost died. And, and dad sort of made a bargain. He said, if you get her better, then I'll go to church. And she got better, so he went to church for three months and fulfilled his obligation, and he quit again. But he did. From the time he got saved until he died, he went to church regularly. And, and the other thing was he became a much more generous man. My dad had grown up in the Depression, and so, you know, he, he knew how to pinch a penny till it squealed. And he wasn't really easily parted with his money. But then once he became a Christian, he would, I don't know how many times in the last two years I heard him say, it's only money. It was, it was an amazing difference. And um, I share all of that with you because it's Father's Day, yes, and, and I'm wearing a suit to honor my dad for the first time ever, but probably won't be the last time. Um, but that's not why. The reason I share that with you is because I want you to realize what a difference Jesus Christ makes in a person's life. That's what we're talking about this summer. For those of you who are new, we're in this series. Uh, it's Colossians, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And, and today we're going to look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. I believe it's the pinnacle of the book of Colossians. It, it's the Apostle Paul's statement about who Jesus really is. And we're going we're gonna to look at that. In fact, the, the way we're going to look at that, by turning, if you have one of these study guides that you brought with you, it'll be page 12 today. We're going to turn to page 12. If you don't have a study guide and you'd like one, if you raise your hand, somebody will bring you one. If you're, if you're new or you, 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 go ahead, Noah, you want one? Here's right up here in the front. Raise it up high. Don't be afraid. Okay? And so page 12, it says Colossians 1, 15 to 23, Christ is supreme. That's what we're going to look at today. And uh, as we look at that, before we do look at that, uh, I, I want us to look at that take-home point. It's on page 13. Jesus is God. That's the take-home point today. I'm going to write that down. Jesus is God. And then I'm going to make that as a math equation because, of course, we've been putting equations up all over the place this year. And the simple equation is Jesus equals God. Because as I learned, unfortunately, when they started making math problems into word problems in about middle school, I didn't understand why they had to take the numbers away and put words. But anyway, is equals, equals Right? 2 plus 1 equals 3. 2 plus 1 is 3. So Jesus is God. Jesus equals God. Now that is an outstanding and amazing and outlandish claim. The claim is that there was a human being who is God. And in fact, it's such an outlandish claim that there are a lot of Christian cults out there. You know, they're not really the church. They're, they're cults, which means they're aberrations of the church. And the reason they, they, they arose is because they didn't believe this. I mean, they, they didn't believe that a man could become God or, or was God, started out as God. And, and so what they said was this. Yeah, Jesus is sort of a God, but he's not the God. 
There are other cults out there that say, well, Jesus isn't really even God. He, you know, he's a great guy, great teacher, great prophet, but, but he's not God. And then there are other cults out there that say, well, yeah, Jesus is sort of a God with a small g, just like we can all become gods with a small g. Because this is crazy. I mean, really, if you think about it, it's crazy to think that Jesus, a human being, is the eternal God who created everything. And that's what we're going to talk about today as we turn to Colossians 1, verse 15 to 23. And as we turn there, um, we're not going to read all the way through it as we did a couple weeks ago when I was preaching. But what we're going to do is what Pastor Brad did last week. We're going to take a little verse or two at a time, and, and we're going to look at that. Before we do that, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you love us so much that you came here in the man Jesus Christ. And we thank you that he is God, not isn't like God, not isn't a God, but he's God. He's you. And so today as we read this text, I pray that your spirit will lead us and guide us and show us what that means. Not, not just theoretically, but what that means for our daily lives. And I ask this prayer in Jesus' name. So, the very first verse, 15, says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Would you say that with me? Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Now, do you see what that statement says? It says, first of all, that there's an invisible God. There is a God. There's a, a creator. There's somebody behind everything that we can't see. And, and he created everything we can see and a lot that we can't see. And there's a visible image of this invisible God, and it's Jesus. That is one big mouthful because, you see, we live in a culture. The, the culture today doesn't buy that. The, the culture says, well, you know, there might be a whole bunch of gods or there might be one god or there might not be any god. Well, it doesn't really matter, though, because if you just believe something or nothing, it's okay because it's a multiple-choice world that we live in. But this is not a multiple-choice statement. This idea that there is a god and he is Jesus this is incredibly profound, and, and if it's true, it changes everything. If it's not true, it changes everything, too, I might add. But, but Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God, and that statement has to be either true or false. I've had the opportunity to travel around the world and talk to people about Jesus everywhere. Not everywhere, but, in, you know, different cultures. And, and when I go to Buddhist cultures, one of the things I like to do after I get to know the person and, and is to sit and talk with them about the, the, what happens after we die. Because every religion has an idea of what happens to us after we die. And here's what happens after we die if you're a Buddhist. Of course, that's what they think. Is that you are recycled, so to speak. You're reincarnated. You come back as a better person or as a lesser person or as a chipmunk or something like that. And it goes on for like 156 or so many cycles depending on which religion it is. And then eventually you merge with the universe and you don't have to come back anymore. And, and so when I sit down with Buddhists, I say, you believe in reincarnation, right? After we die, we come back as something else. And they say, yes. And I say, well, I believe. What I believe is that we die once, and then we either rise and go to heaven with God forever, or we rise and we go to hell without God forever. So would you agree with me that either you're right and I'm wrong, or I'm right and you're wrong, or we're both wrong? But we both can't be right. And every Buddhist has always agreed with me. And why do I bring that up? Because you see, in this culture, in America today, people believe that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe something and all the roads lead to the same place. Every Buddhist knows that's not true. Every Christian ought to know that's not true. You know, we can't have multiple choice answers to the question of who is God. Because Paul made it very clear, Jesus 
is God. That, that's what it, what it says. And, and we live in a very strange culture these days because we say we're a scientific culture. You know, scientific culture means that we believe that if you can't see it, hear it, touch it, taste it, smell it, you know, taste it, that it isn't real. Or at least we can't really worry about it because if we can't do those things, we just can't examine it. So let's just forget about it. And the interesting thing about Jesus is there are many scientific people who tell me that Jesus didn't exist. He, he never lived. He's a legend or a myth. But the interesting thing about John, uh, the Apostle John, I think he might have been one of the first scientists. Because in his letter, 1 John, he says this. That one who we have seen with our eyes and heard with our ears and touched with our hands, Jesus. We proclaim to you that he's God. Now that's a little bit of a stretch from a scientific standpoint. Actually, it's more than a stretch because he's moving into faith. But what he's doing is saying, you know, there really was a guy named Jesus. And he really did exist. And we saw him and heard him. And we experienced him. And we even saw him after he rose from the dead which is very unusual, and scientifically, you can't really prove that in a laboratory situation. But here's the thing about our scientific culture, and I need to let you know, I started out as a scientist. I don't know if you know that. I was a biology major at Grove City. I was going to be a medical doctor, and I believe science is true as far as it goes. But then when it fits, moves over into the realm of faith, what often happens in this culture is this, the world of science moves into the world of faith, and it, it doesn't tell us. Because, you see, what the world of science often says in the books I've read is that there was nothing, and they added nothing, they mixed in random chance, and boom, here we are. Now, that's the biggest statement of faith I've ever heard. And, and, and the thing is, you know, Stephen Hawking, one of the most intelligent human beings who has ever lived, he has developed a theory of the creation of the universe that doesn't require God. But I would submit to you this morning that God has developed a theory of the creation of the universe that doesn't require Stephen Hawking. You see, we're talking about faith here this morning, not science, faith. And, and what I'm trying to do this morning is to establish some things. There are things that are true or false. And if they're true, they make every difference in the world. If they're false, they do too, because I might as well go home and do something different every day than what I do every day. Because if Jesus Christ is not God then there's no reason for me to be sitting up here talking to you today. And if Jesus Christ is not God, there's no reason for you to be here today or next week or any week. Because this is the truth that changes all truth. And I admit, we can't prove this stuff. Look what it says next. It says, he existed, this is Jesus, existed before anything was created, is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. Now, I can't prove any of that. You can't prove any of that. We can't prove that God created through Jesus, everything that exists. I, I readily admit that when we start considering these matters, we are moving past science to faith. I just wish the scientists would, would admit when they move past science to faith as well. And as we look at this text this morning, what we're going to see is that Paul had met Jesus personally. He met Jesus, like we said a few weeks ago, in a different kind of way than we would meet each other because Jesus had already died, risen, gone back to heaven. And Paul had this experience with Jesus. And so Paul believed that Jesus is God and that he is preexistent and that he created everything. Paul believed all of that stuff, that Jesus is God. And then Paul says something like this. Next, he existed before anything else. And he holds all creation together. Is it possible that Jesus holds all creation together? Well, it certainly is if he's God. 
Now, here's the thing. We can't prove that scientifically. We can't go to the laboratory and, and see, touch, taste, smell here, touch that, right? But, but the thing is, just because it can't be proven scientifically, just because it isn't humanly logical, doesn't mean it's illogical or illogical. It, it doesn't mean that it's not possible. In fact, the, you can't go to a scientific laboratory and prove that any of this stuff isn't true. And that's why it's called faith. You know, the Bible is an honest book. The thing that I love about the Bible is it's such an honest book that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says this. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. The idea is that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God, that he existed before anything else existed, that he's right now holding all of creation together in a way that we cannot see. All of those ideas require faith to believe. But you don't have to be unintelligent to believe that. You don't have to, as, as so many atheists today would say, you know, be unscientific to believe that. I believe a lot of stuff that science has proven is true. But I just don't believe the stuff whenever they move into the realm of faith. Because I believe that Jesus is God. That Jesus equals God. And, and this is where my dad comes in. My, my dad comes into this equation because the reason my dad disbelieved in Jesus as God had nothing to do with Jesus. It was, it was because of Christians. <laughs> my dad didn't become a Christian because of Christians. You see, my dad, when I was a second year student at Princeton Seminary, had a, his second heart attack. And at the time, uh, first thing that happened was I drove home from Princeton, New Jersey, faster than you can drive home from Princeton, New Jersey, to Gypsy when I found out my dad had a heart attack. And then my dad got out of the hospital real quick, and we went down to my grandma's house. Now, you might think, why was your dad at your grandma's house? Well, that's because my dad was an upright man. And my grandma couldn't take care of herself, and my mom and dad moved out of their house and moved into my grandma's house for five years so that my grandma could stay in her house. You know, that was my dad's mother-in-law. It wasn't his mother, and yet he did that. I, I mean, he wasn't a Christian. It's the kind of guy he was. So my dad and I are sitting on my grandma's porch, it was, a, it was a summer day, and, and as we were sitting there, the, the local pastor from the church, um, he drove past, and he drove down three houses down, and he stopped at the house of this woman who, um, whose husband had left for work about 45 minutes earlier. And my dad looks to me, and he says, you know, I would go to church. Translation, I would follow Jesus if it wasn't for stunts like that. Translation, if this pastor who says he's a follower of Jesus wouldn't visit this woman three to four days a week after her husband goes to work. And I said, Dad, you're a better man than he is. And that in Jesus will get you into heaven one day. But that wasn't enough for my dad right then. You see, he wanted to see the people who followed Jesus following Jesus. And, and, and he especially wanted to see the leaders who were supposed to be following Jesus following Jesus. And apparently the Apostle Paul would agree with my dad. Because in the middle of this text where he's talking about all of this stuff about Jesus being supreme and Jesus being co uh, you know, coexistent with God and Jesus uh, holding everything together, he takes a little break in the middle and he says this, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead, so he is first in everything. So in the middle of this demonstration of the amazing nature of Jesus Christ, he says, oh, by the way, Jesus is the head of the church. What does that mean? 
It means he's in charge of all the Christians, all the men, the women, and the children who call themselves followers of Jesus. He's in charge of us. And Paul loved to use this image of the church as the body of Jesus Christ, which means what? We're the eyes of Jesus. We're the ears of Jesus. We're the mouth of Jesus. We're the, the, the feet, the hands, whatever. And we're supposed to be out there in the world representing Jesus. And that's what Paul is telling us when he says that Jesus is the head, so we follow what Jesus teaches us, and we're supposed to do what Jesus teaches us in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he even says that Jesus is the beginning. He's supreme over all who rise from the dead. Who's that? It's us. I guess it's we is proper grammar. It's we who know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. One day we're going to die, we're going to rise up, and we're going to go to heaven. We're not going to come back as a chipmunk. We're not coming back. We're either going to heaven or hell when we die. That's what Paul says here. We're the church and we're supposed to represent his body. We are his body in the world. And so my dad saw this pastor who didn't reflect Jesus. And and, and I tried another thing. I said, look, dad, how long have you known me? All my life, right? And and at this point, I'm 25, 26 years old. And, And I said, you know that I'm not perfect. And you know what he said? I won't tell you exactly what he said because he used a few words that I don't use in church. But he said, but you're a blankety-blank-blank sight better than that man will ever be. Thank God that was true. At that time, it's probably truer today. But I said to my dad, well, you know, Dad, that and Jesus will get me into heaven when I die. Because it's Jesus plus nothing (laughs) is everything. You know, and I wish I would have, you know, studied Colossians a little more back in those days. And I would have just said to Dad, you know, Dad, you really need to be looking at Jesus because he's God. We're not. We, we Christians, we, we're not. We're, we're fallible, you know. you know. But he wouldn't like that argument very much because then he would have said, well, then what's the point? Why should I follow Jesus? Why should I follow Jesus if you all aren't any different? Well, he knew I was different than this guy, you know. But it's not Islam we're talking about here this morning where if you're a little better than the next guy, you might go to heaven when you die. We're talking about this very, very serious thing, that we're the body of Jesus Christ. Now, there is some really, really good news after this statement that we're the body of Christ. It says this, For God, in all His fullness, was pleased to live in Christ, and through Him, this is so, so powerful, God reconciled everything to Himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. You see, that's really the beginning and end of the matter. Jesus reconciled us. To God, to himself. The relationship between God and humanity had been broken way, way, way back at the first two people, Adam and Eve. They sinned, they turned away from God, and so the relationship had been broken. And so how did God fix it? Well, he fixed it in the Old Testament through a sacrificial system. But in the New Testament, when the time had fully come, he came, a human being who is God, born of a woman. In the fullness of time, born so that we could what? So that we could be reconciled. That means made to be in relationship once again with the living God of the universe. And that's what it's all about. You know, my dad may well have become a follower of Jesus a lot sooner if he had seen a lot of followers of Jesus following Jesus a lot better. But he didn't. And the thing, here it is. It's Jesus who is the visible image of the invisible God, not us. But you know what people out in the world think? Here's what they think. They think that because that we say that Jesus is God and that we follow Jesus and Jesus isn't here right now, they're going to watch us and they're going to see if we look anything like Jesus. And if we don't look anything like Jesus, then they're going to say Jesus is a fake. That's not true. That means we're fake. It doesn't mean Jesus is a fake. 
But, but that's what people think because people think, you know, you hear all this preaching about how you're supposed to have a new life and how you're transformed and how you're supposed to what Pastor Brad said last week. We know him, so we grow in him, and then we go out there and we live like him. And, and people out there in the world are saying, well, we want to see it. That's what my dad said for all of those years. We want to see it. And, and so, you know, the interesting thing is that Paul added this. This includes you. Who were once far away from God, you were his enemy, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions, yet now he's reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. You see, all of us were enemies of God. That's what Paul says. That's what the Bible teaches. All of us are sinners. None of us are good. We didn't start out that way. We weren't a little bit better than the next person. We were all sinners. We're all separated from God. And once again, Paul says, God fixed that in Jesus Christ. He reconciled us. We are brought back together. And so now there's supposed to be a difference. In our lives. And my dad got tired of seeing people who are supposed to be Christians who weren't acting like Christians or who weren't acting like Jesus. Aren't you? Aren't you tired of seeing Christians who show up at 8.15 for a job that starts at 8? Who take four breaks before lunchtime? Who don't even finish the day? Aren't you tired of getting up in the morning and looking in the mirror and seeing you? <laughs> Not being who you're supposed to be. Not, not being the, the Jesus that you're supposed to be for others. I am. I'm tired of getting up in the morning after 46 years of being a follower of Jesus and not looking more like Jesus than I do. And here's some good news. Really, really good news. Because I don't want to go home and be, pressed, to be depressed all week after hearing the message. Here's the good news. It says, as a result, as a result of Jesus reconciling us to himself, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. What does that mean? It means when we die and go to heaven and we're standing in front of God, God is not going to see our sins. He's not going to see the fact that we never did become exactly the way we were supposed to become or maybe not very close at all. He's going to see the blood of Jesus that was poured out and, and what he's going to see is his son and his son's righteousness. And we're going to be faultless before God. That's the really, really good news of the good news. But here's the thing. A lot of people take that really, really good news of the good news and they misuse it. We misuse it. What we, what we do is we forget something. We assume that because we will stand faultless before God one day when we die, it doesn't matter what we do today. But it does matter what we do today. In fact, it says this. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world. And I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. You see, we're supposed to continue to believe that Jesus is God. We're supposed to continue to believe that the Holy Spirit is in our lives once we're born again. We're supposed to continue to become more and more and more like Jesus. And we're not supposed to drift away from that assurance. Because there was a day for most of us when we first trusted Jesus, when, boom, we were born again, when we were saved. And in that moment, we were excited about it. And we couldn't wait to tell somebody about Jesus. Or, or we couldn't wait to see how we could live a little bit more like Jesus. There was, there was a moment in our life when we were like that. And then life happened. And, and, and it just got heavier and heavier and heavier. And, and so my dad sits on the porch in Gypsy, Pennsylvania, and he says, where are the Christians? Well, now he sits in heaven, huh. because at the age of 73, he accepted Jesus. But there's somebody sitting on a porch near you, waiting to see Jesus in you. Somebody sitting in a porch near me, waiting to see Jesus. And that's the coolest thing. This God 
who is invisible became visible in Jesus Christ. And he grew up and he lived a perfect life and he taught with an authority like no one before or since. And he healed sick people and he raised dead people and he cast demons out of people. And then he died on the cross to pay the penalty that we couldn't pay. And he rose from the dead to prove that we're going to rise from the dead someday. And then he went back to heaven and he, he did something awesome. He sent the Holy Spirit so that people could look at us. And little by little by little by little, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, could see Jesus, a glimmer here, a glimmer there, a little bit more, a little bit more. So that the world could know that this is true. You see, we can't prove it scientifically. But we can prove it experientially. When somebody needs love, we can love them. When somebody needs truth, we can give them truth. When somebody needs to stand up for what's right, we can stand up for what's right. And so, if Jesus is God, then we don't have to drift. We don't have to make excuses. We, we don't have to say, well, that's just me. Yeah, it is just you. It is just me. But with Jesus, with Jesus, Jesus plus nothing is everything. And so when Jesus is added to our life, when we start to know him and grow in him and go out there, we can make a difference that people can see and experience every single day. And so here's the commitment. And before we get to the commitment, I need to tell you, verse 20 says that when we have all this stuff, this reconciliation, we have peace with God. What is peace? It's the sense that everything is okay, even if nothing's okay. It's the sense that no matter what's going on in life, everything's good inside. And so the commitment says this, I will live in peace because of my trust in Jesus. Do you trust in Jesus? Somebody said yes. Do you trust in Jesus? You know, if we trust in Jesus, then what that means is the world's out there watching they are, and what they want to see is what's going to happen when, when everyday situations, last night or yesterday, I don't know when it was, sometime yesterday, Nancy and I went to Sam's Club, and she still had a couple more things to get. She said, go ahead and get in line. So I chose, there were three lines, and I said, that's the shortest line. So I went to the shortest line, which was the longest line. It always is. If you ever go shopping with me, I can pick the longest line every single time. Okay, so that's a little thing, right? So what did I do while I was in the shortest line? Well, I realized I was going to be preaching this sermon. And so I acted like Jesus. I prayed for the person who I didn't even know in front of me. You know, I started to think about, you know, God. And I started to wonder, you know, why is Sam's Club such a place that they only have three open things whenever there should be 12? You know, I, I mean, why do you have 12 checkouts if you only use three? But anyway, you know. It wasn't a bad thought. It just, you know. And, and, and then, you know, the thing is, whenever you all leave the parking lot today, you're going to go out and drive. And, and here's the thing. I, I've been a Christian, like I said, since I was 12. And I've been driving cars since I was 16. I've never had a bumper sticker on my car that had anything to do with Jesus. You know why? I don't drive like Jesus. But I'm just about ready to buy the bumper sticker. The other day, I found myself driving on a 45-mile-an-hour speed limit road, and I was driving 43. Somebody laughed whenever I said that at first service. You know, I know, that's a little, it's a little, it's all little stuff until it gets to the big stuff. And so the big stuff comes, and if we haven't done the little stuff, we're not going to do the big stuff. And as we go out today, people are out there watching, and they want to know, is this true? Is Jesus God? Does Jesus equal God? Not a God, not a small letter G. 
But is he really the God of the universe? Is there a God of the universe? And if we believe that he is, and we said, and a lot of you went, yeah, I trust Jesus. Then if Jesus is God, he is God. But if he is in our life, then it's going to make a difference. And so I'm wearing a suit today because a man who didn't believe in God showed me a lot of things about life that were true, and they were from God, even though he didn't know it at the time. And I guess I might be wearing a suit today because I want to remind myself that my dad could have become a Christian a lot, lot sooner if, if we, the body of Jesus Christ, had just acted a little bit more like it. And, and I certainly think there's a world out there that my dad used to say this all the time. He'd watch the news and he'd go, the world's going crazy. And, and he died 16 years ago. I wonder what he'd think if he were living today about the world. <laughs> if it was going crazy 16 years ago, oh my goodness. Right? So what's going to stop that? It's not the latest idea about God's. It's the same thing that it always would be. It would be Christians acting like Jesus. And so as we go out today, my, my, my prayer is simple for us, that we would just live in peace because we trust Jesus. And that whether it's a big thing or a tiny little thing, you know, that we would live like Jesus because we trust Jesus and that we would know his peace. And that's what I'm going to pray for right now. But before I do that, I just want to say, if you're in the room today and you've never trusted Jesus as God, you've, you've never believed that, it might be a good time to do that. To just say, there either is a God or there isn't a God. Maybe there are a lot of gods. Maybe there, you know, I don't know. But, but what Pastor Chris said this morning makes sense. That there's a God who showed himself to us in Jesus Christ. And if you are willing to take a step of faith, and it takes a step of faith to do that, right now all you have to do is say, Jesus, I, I believe this. In my mind, in my heart, my soul, my spirit, everything, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the first step. And, and, and I, I believe you that you're going to be there to walk with me, because he will. And for the rest of us who have already done that, let's, let's just go out today and let's remember, even if nobody's watching, and this is what my dad taught me, Chris, it doesn't matter if anybody's watching. You'd be the same man either way. And that's what we need to do. Be the same man or woman either way. Jesus would say the same thing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you so much for this opportunity to talk today with this group of people about you. And I pray today that those of us who already know you, that we will go out with a new commitment to love you and serve you in truth and to stand up for you to do the right thing, not because our dads told us or our moms, but because you did. And God, I pray for any who just right now, as I mentioned that all they had to do was ask you to come in and believe in faith, that any who did that, God, I pray that you would surround them with your spirit and inhabit them with your spirit. Let them have the power that comes from you alone in their life this week. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.